Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Their pitch is a women's football podcast in collaboration with Adidas Football. Hey, 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 it's preview time, folks. The start of the Euro 2022 is only days away, and this will be our first Euro special. In this episode, we are joined by Willie Kirk, a football coach that has been involved with women's football professionally on the highest level for many years. We are very excited to have him on every episode we will record and publish during this tournament. We will also have different guests joining in. And in this, the Euro preview, we have one UK football journalist and one Swedish football data analyst. What we can promise is that there will be a lot of good football talk. You are listening to Their Pitch Euro 2022 special featuring Willy Kirk and this is the preview episode. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Their Pitch UEFA Women's Euro Special. Very proud to present that with me I have Willie Kirk, who will be Their Pitch professional expert and our sidekick during the tournament. How are you doing, Willie? Great. Yeah, I'm great. Thanks. Just back from holiday, so very much in Euros mode and looking forward to the tournament kicking off. Great. Great to hear that. Uh, I'm sure this will be very exciting. And also with me, I have Tom Gary. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Very well. Um, the yeah, the sun is shining in England, ready for the Euros. Hopefully, it will last for the next six weeks. I don't think it will, though. But no, very well here. Very <laughs> happy and nice to speak to you. We love to hear about great weather in England. So. Uh, I also have two more people with me. Uh, one of them you know very well. That's Amanda Zaza, my 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 main host uh, or our main host uh, for most of the time. Um, Amanda, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I've just spent an entire day from nine o'clock in the morning until just forty minutes ago from when this is uh, recorded. To I've spent that time with the national team, the Swedish national team. So I'm a little bit tired and I still have a lot of hours left to work, probably six or something. Yeah, but you will also have a lot of gossip about the Swedish national team to tell us later. So we're happy about that. Um, uh, the last uh, player in this starting lineup, Jesper, how are you doing? I'm doing uh, very well, thanks. Uh, I'm very excited to join the podcast. Uh, a bit both excited and a bit nervous for my podcast debut, but I'm really looking forward to this to talk to you about the Women's Euros and uh, yeah, spread some knowledge about uh, data analytics in football. Yeah, we're very excited to hear what you have to say later. But let's start this with, because not everyone listening uh, to us right now will know who we are, everyone. So... Uh, We'll start with Willie. Uh, introduce yourself and tell us something uh, that you're proud of uh, having accomplished in your professional career. Probably the most proud of, I was an accountant 
for 16 years, uh, which a lot of people don't know. And I took a big gamble and took voluntary redundancy to pursue my career in full-time football management coaching. And, uh, and luckily it paid off. And uh, yeah, I think I'm just really proud of the fact that I've managed to transition from that through a number of different clubs down in England and uh, and obviously my last big job at, at Everton, which probably getting to the, the FA Cup final was, was a massive achievement for the club at that time. Yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about some Everton Swedish players uh, as well, because I'm sure you will have interesting uh, things to say about them as footballers. Uh, but Tom, I'll, I'll ask you the same question and then we move on to Jesper and Amanda. Oh no, I'm going to lower the tone now, but I'm very, very proud that I turned up early to the England media day <laughs> yesterday. For my, my friends will tell you that is a very unlikely event um, that, that I managed to put it off. So that I'm very, very pleased with that. <laughs> but I wasn't running late for the big day. Um, that's not a very serious answer. Sorry, but um, no, I uh, that 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 is my biggest achievement of the week. That's certainly true. Yeah, and you're a women's football uh, journalist. We'll have to ta- tell the listeners that. And you work for The Telegraph, right? That's right, yeah. No, I've been very um, lucky to cover the women's game in England for around um, seven or eight years now. I think eight, eight, eight years. And the last two of those have been at the Daily Telegraph newspaper, which is um, one of the national newspapers in, in England. And yeah, I've... I've Uh, love the job. It's absolutely fantastic. I'm very lucky to cover the women's game on a full-time basis, which uh, I guess up until a few years ago wasn't a career that many journalists were able to have. So yeah, I'm, I'm very fortunate. And, and uh, yeah, this summer's definitely the, the yeah the biggest summer so far of the of, of that career for sure. And for those who don't know, he's one of the best ones out there. So <laughs> oh, you stop it, guys! Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't make him blush this early in. <laughs> Um, yeah, we're very happy to to have you on this podcast. We'll speak a lot about England uh, as well. Uh, Jesper, tell us who are you and what what is your proudest moment? Yes, uh, yeah, I'm uh, Jesper, and uh, I work for a company called uh, Playmaker AI, which who works with uh, data analytics in football. So I'm a data analyst and software developer. Uh, and um, yeah, uh, we we have a platform that we provide to uh, our customers that are clubs in Scandinavia and uh, on both men's and women's side. And we also work with the Swedish FA, so uh, the Swedish uh, national teams on men's and women's side. Uh, and uh, yeah, I also work um, with some data analytics when it comes to uh, articles and uh, TV. Uh, I work with Mia. Uh, once in a while, uh, which is really fun. And I think the most proud of that I am is that I I took a master in aerospace engineering first, but then I realized that like programming was the most fun. And uh, just um, two years ago, when the COVID crisis hit, like uh, I was laid off my job, and uh, eventually I lost it as well. And I got a lot of time to spend like at home. And even though I had my degree, it was a pretty tough time to. Uh, get a job in Sweden and I spent all of that just programming in football at home like my two passions programming and football and that led me to the job I have today so yeah I'm very proud of that and uh, that was that was a journey that I'm very proud of and yeah I spent a lot of time on the simulator that we will talk about later yeah that's lovely to hear and yeah and Amanda 
my lovely colleague. So I I just graduated um, university last year studying journalism, and I think it's been a pretty fast fast road to to get to where I am today and to cover the Euros. It's gone by pretty quickly, and I'm I'm really proud of that. And the fact that I get to do this podcast and focus on women's football and just work with that as well as you know as well as any other thing that we're doing right now and do it full time and do women's football, but the biggest thing is probably the fact that I am because of the, like I am the first woman in my family to graduate from university. Um, so I'm very proud of that achievement and the fact that I got to hear that there's barely any jobs in journalism, but here I am working full time. So I'm very proud of that. Yeah. We're, I, I can say I'm proud, proud of all of you. And I'm very happy that you are with me on this podcast and I will only let you know that my name is Mia Eriksson because I didn't announce that in the beginning. What's your proudest moment? Oh man, you put me on the spot here because I haven't thought about that because that was my question to you. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm proud of a lot of things, but I'm mostly proud of the fact that when I do something, I always want to learn more and more and more. And it ends up getting me in trouble sometimes with the limit of time. But but like the fact that I, I like to learn things. Um I'm yeah, I'm proud of that with for for those who don't don't know Mia, she's uh, extremely ambitious and she she happens to take on more than she can actually more than there are hours in the day for her to achieve, complete her tasks. Um so it's very impressive whenever she gets something done because she always has a million things to do. Yeah. I can only agree on that. That's something that I've noticed when we've been working <laughs> together. <laughs> yeah, it has to be perfect, you know, everything you do in life. No, <laughs> it, it hasn't. But well, I, I'm sure this is going to be a fun episode and we have a lot to talk about. Um, and like I said, I'm glad to have you all on board for this. So let's get into this. We are going to start with the Swedish national team in this preview because we are a Swedish podcast but we speak English or Swinglish you can pick what you like um, when you hear us talk but um, we are in collaboration with Adidas Football uh, and recently um, recently it's bad to say but when Sweden uh, launched their new match shirt ahead of the Euros, they also uh, published a guide called How to Stop Sweden. And uh, was a little bit buzz uh, around this guide when it was uh, released because it's it's basically a, a, a guide full of analysis about the Swedish players. Um, so, Willie, have you seen this guide? I have a lot about that. I haven't seen it, but I've heard a lot about it. And uh, yeah, it's very interesting. It's it's quite out there for a country to, to produce that. But uh, yeah, I think that's good. It noises the game up. Uh, yeah, I, I used to say something about Man City that everybody knew how Man City played, but stopping them was a different thing altogether. So, you know, Sweden might be telling everyone how to stop them, but stopping them will be a completely different uh, different task. So, 
Yeah, I like it. I like it. It's a bit edgy. Yeah, it's it's very different, and we have we have said this before, Amanda, that this is very like un Swedish uh, to do. But I mean, we we like it. So, and Tom, uh, take us through the bus in the UK when the Swedish shirt was released with with this guide. I mean, if there was any. No, there certainly was. It was a topic of conversation in in the press box for sure. Every, everybody thought it was quite uh, unusual. I love the psychology of it. I love the that kind of. Uh, I can't think what the word, right word is, but the mind games that that involves. I think that's cool. We need a lot more of that in the women's game, um, and it kind of represents a, a bit of a confidence as well, which I quite like. When often in women's international football, sometimes only really the. Maybe the um, Americans really have lots and lots of confidence, so it's nice to see to see that. And like Willie said, actually, actually pulling it off and stopping Sweden will not be easy at all. So, uh, yeah, we talked about it a bit uh, in in the, in the press box. I think the, the next day after that was re- that was released, or a couple of days later. Um, so it, it got noticed, that's for sure. Um, but um, yeah, whether or not anyone can actually stop them, I'm not sure. <laughs> Well, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, Jesper, we all know that you like numbers and dots and staples and, and things like that. What what did you make of, of this guide? Yeah, I really like it. I also think it was uh, quite bold and different, but uh, I like it. Like, uh, I like Sweden going in that direction. And I haven't seen uh, something very similar to it on men's side uh, neither. So, uh, yeah, I really enjoy it. And uh, Anders Eriksson working with... Uh, The national team is really good and talented, so I think it's nice that he got the publicity. Uh, so yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, Amanda and me, we have read this guide so many times, so we can probably read it like without looking at it soon. <laughs> yeah, I can. Pro- I can probably recite every single player on that. That's how many times I've read it. It's a good guide for if you want to know, get to know the Swedish national team players a little bit more. And if you're curious about them, then I suggest you just visit howtostopsweden.com to read more. I would love to know if the Netherlands players have read this. There's a um, whenever they have their their press conference, I'd love to ask that to, to Mark Parsons and or some of the team. You know, have you have you read this guide ahead of the first match? That would be really interesting. We're waiting for you to uh, to ask that question on the on the pre-match uh, presser then. But you you might not be there even, but if you are, uh, please please do. Um now let's talk Sweden. Um I mean, we all we we're not used to being in this position in Sweden to be one of the favorites to win uh, a big tournament. Uh Willie What's your take on the Swedish national team and the squad? I think it's the strongest it's been probably for a while, I think, in terms of depth. Uh, it's probably the most exciting Swedish team that I've seen. Uh, I've, I've always had an interest in Swedish, the Swedish national team because Anna Signol was, was obviously the Scotland manager when I first went into the women's game. So I had a real sort of affinity to, to Sweden since then. And then obviously I got a chance to, to send some Swedish players. Uh, so I know exactly how good they are. But yeah, I, I think I think Sweden are right up there with with the, the three or four favourites to win it. So it's going to be a yeah, it's going to be a very tough task to stop them. But I'm sure I'm sure Sweden are humble enough to, to also recognise that about some of the other countries in the tournament. So uh, yeah, but they'll be they'll be. 
they'll be right up there, I think, in terms of countries at the moment. You, you mentioned it yourself now when we have to, to bring this up because uh, during your time in Everton, you brought uh, three Swedish players over and two of them is uh, selected for, for the Euros. Uh, can, can you just tell us about them, your thoughts? Yeah. And wh- why, did you, why did you want them? Yeah, of course. I mean, I'm disappointed that only two of the three are in the squad because I think Anna's a, a terrific player and I think she's been really unfortunate with injuries this season. Or if she'd had a if she'd had a good season in England, I'm sure she'd have been in that squad because she adds something a little bit different. But certainly the, the level of player that Sweden are producing just now is fantastic. And I said that about the depth of squad they've got. And and you guys will know probably the players on the fringes of that squad better than I will. But if you look at the 23, uh, they're, you know, they're, they're, there's very few players that, that that you can say are not good enough for the starting 11. Uh, you know, and if we just talk about the two that, that I had at Everton, you know, and Natalie Beyond, I think she's got so much competition to get a game because of the, the depth that I've talked about. You know, this... The centre-backs for Sweden just now are at such a high level. But I just think, I think Natalie Natalie has got a, a presence, a quiet sort of presence about her. I, I think she's got real leadership abilities, uh, but I don't think she really shows them as much as she should. And that's maybe coming back to the, the humble nature of a lot of the Swedes, that she doesn't really put herself out there and be the leader because she knows the game so well and I think she can be a, a very good talker on the pitch, but she probably hasn't shown that fully in her first season at, at Everton. Uh, and I'm sure she sees herself, you know, as not the second or third best centre back in Sweden. So she's probably not going into those camps with fully confidence. But I think the, her passing ability is fantastic. She's got great awareness and great. Uh, range of passing in terms of short, medium, and, and long, and uh, the the one weakness she has is in physical duels and defensive headers is probably one weakness. And I'm sure spending time in England will improve that because there is no way out of it. You have to do it. Uh, there is a lot more aerial duels, I think, in England than, than in the Swedish game. But that is that is one area that she probably has to improve on, and where maybe the other Swedish centre backs have got an edge on her. Uh, but yeah, I, I think her ability on the ball is fantastic. She can carry the ball. She she can she can as I say make passes over various ranges. She's got a great awareness of first touch. She always takes her first touch away from away from trouble, away from pressure. So yeah, I think she's a very talented girl, and uh, one that although it was short. I, I really loved working with her. And what about uh, Hannah Benison? Just wow. The girl can be the best in the world. Uh, I, th- I think Natalie can be one of the best centre-backs in Europe over the next three or four years. I think Hannah can be the best player in the world. Uh, she is exceptional. The challenge for Hannah is pulling all these things together and understanding what is going to be her best position. Is it an eight? Is it a ten? Is it a six? Uh, but she's got everything. Uh, 
she she thinks that her biggest weakness is her heading ability. But when you when you isolate the skill of heading, she's actually very good. The problem for Hannah is when there's people around about her and the type of header she needs to do. But actually, I spoke to her one day after training and her isolated heading ability is actually very good. Uh, but it's just the decision-making around it. But yeah, the, the, the girl's fantastic. She's so, so humble. She, although the very first time I met her on a Zoom call, as much as she was humble, really quiet and shy, you also you also felt a confidence about her, a self confidence about her that she knew that she was good and she knew that she could be as good as she wants to be and uh, yeah again another player I loved working with it you know it just far too short a time for me which was a shame because I really loved working with her or wanted to help her develop and start from Sweden but what a what a player to have in your squad to give you different types of solutions at different periods again. Yeah, we're obviously very happy to hear this, Amanda, right? Yeah, definitely. And I and I must ask you because obviously I've I've spent a lot of time in camps with some of these players um in Portugal and for the World Cup qualifiers. And when we come back to to Everton and when we talk about, you know, how well, how they wanted to be a league at the top of the table, um, but ended up being, you know, fighting for a spot to hold on, still be in the league. They they often point to to Willie Kirk being one of the reasons that the team was so successful, and and how how much you how much you've meant for them to come to Everton and to play there. Is that something that these players have voiced to you? You know, after you left, or are you still in contact with any of the Swedish players at all? I never really managed to build up a, a massive relationship with them because it was only three, sort of three months. I mean, I I left the job in the middle of October, and I only I only got to start working with them a week and a half before the season started because of the because of the Olympics. So they all arrived in Edinburgh, all very nervous. We were four and a half weeks in the pre-season. They had just arrived. I'd give them some extra time off. Uh, to make sure they were they were physically good. And then they all had various issues around, you know, niggles or injuries, uh, a little bit of fatigue. So I never brought up a huge relationship with them. I, I, you know, contacted them all individually once I'd left, just to say, you know, it was a pleasure to work with them and I'd love to work with them again. And uh, yeah, all the, the, one, the one consistency across all three of them, I include Anna in this as well, obviously, is that, they were all just really good human beings, just really humble, really honest. Uh, you could see they wanted to, they, they just wanted to turn up to train every day and do their best. Uh, so yeah, as I said, it's a, a real shame I never got a chance to work with them because the three, the three of them, I felt were really important signings for the club in terms of the direction that I thought we we wanted to go as a club. And and to secure those three players in the same transfer window, I thought was a real coup, a real real big thing for Everton. But that probably added to the pressure that got put on me. So maybe I shouldn't have signed them. <laughs> I should have kept the expectations low. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yes, yes, but I know that you have uh, studied uh, Natalie Biard and Hannah Benison a little bit today with your computer, maybe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> does it make sense that what Willie is 
telling us about them? Yeah, definitely. Like a lot of the things that he mentions, uh, I have seen in the numbers as well. Like uh, one thing that you can especially uh, tell about her is that like when it comes to like progressing the ball forward with passes, like accurately uh, this season, like she's in the top 10, uh, like Magdalena Eriksson in Sweden is ahead, but like there's uh, only very good players that are ahead of her. So like when it comes to in the game, uh, bringing the ball forward, by passing she's uh, very good and uh, defensively her skills is as well like um, above uh, average but um, like um, yeah I think there's also will, so will be a lot of uh, development like if you look at her numbers in Sweden they are higher but there is like the adjustment that uh, Will was mentioning that is like uh, will be when you come to play in the Women's Super League but I, I think that uh, she will definitely uh, be like the numbers will look even better next year. And what about Hannah Benison? Uh, Hannah Benison is uh, harder to tell, like since she hasn't, um, like in her data, they're not uh, like uh, Natalie Bjorn is uh, maybe uh, her data is maybe sticking out a bit more, but uh, like especially from Hannah, it's like from the time she played, it's their passing, uh, like the passing accurately, passing uh, forward uh, in the pitch. That's what's, uh, yeah, seeing out the most. Yeah, I mean, uh, let's hope we will get to see a lot more of Hannah uh, during the Euros. But Tom, um, let's talk about what is being reported and said about Sweden in the UK. Quite a lot of my colleagues are, are predicting that Sweden will win um, the Euros. I think they're quite a sensible choice as well. Um And I think, I guess what I would say um, about Sweden as a prediction is if you're looking at all of the teams in the tournament, they're probably the, the, the one team that you really can't envisage them having a flop. You can't, it would be very, very hard to imagine them crashing out early. I just, I don't see that happening at all. Whereas the, with some of the other countries, maybe uh, they could do brilliantly, but they, you know, there's a few question marks, maybe say, for example, around, around France, for example, maybe they're dangerous, but maybe you're not quite sure what to expect. Whereas I think with, with Sweden, um, I think they're such a consistent side. They're a very settled side of the contenders. They're one of the ones with, with, with um, the best track record and, and also longevity. I mean, the head coach has been there, what, five years now. So there's that stability. Whereas others, the Netherlands and England, for example, are with relatively new head coaches. Um, and so, yeah, my, my feeling about the Sweden team is that there's, there's so much stability and depth there that, I, I really can't see them not making at least the semi-finals. I, I say that, for, I guess, for two reasons. One, one, they usually tend to do so. Uh, I think in the whole history of the Euros, um, Sweden, whenever they qualified for the tournament, uh, have only failed to reach the semi-finals twice. And even in those cases, they reached the quarterfinals. So it's a pretty good track record. Um, but but actually, if you're looking at the the, the draw in that group I know that Switzerland could be dangerous but realistically I would expect them to get through the group and then in the quarterfinal I, I would expect them to beat either France or Italy I, so that for that reason I guess I'm very confident that Sweden will be in at least the semi-finals and then from there onwards then who knows I think I think it's re it's really funny that that you know that that we talk about the favorite favorite ship of like of Sweden and how it is because we, we talk about this a lot in camp here Um, from the media, we always ask them about how it feels to be a favorite going into this championship. And even the head coach has said how, you know, how, how, how it is to be not an underdog anymore. 
when he's talking about this, that you can't underdog yourself through your entire career. You have to see yourself as a favorite at some point. But actually, when you look at the betting companies, somebody brought this up in the media today, actually, about the betting companies is that Sweden has higher odds than some other countries. I think Spain is, you know, I think they're they're the ones that are going to win with their odds of 5.5, you know, times the money. So they have the lowest odds at Sweden. It's eight times the money. And with the, with how much I believe in Sweden, I should probably wait until that number gets a little bit higher and then start betting. So you would say that this is the latest gossip from the Swedish camp at the moment, because today it's Wednesday, June 22nd. We have to say that. I, I think the latest... I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say it's the latest gossip, but I think that's what we we talked a little bit about that today, as well as we talked with um we talked with some of the players about um obviously Linda Sembrandt got injured at training on the twenty second. So the doctor came and was there for for media and talked about her sprained ankle and how it should not be a problem. So that was probably the biggest thing that happened. Um, and then we had interviews with the leaders, like, or every, not the leaders, but we had, we had interviews with everyone around the team as well as um, a physician and um, the the team coordinator and stuff like that. So it's definitely been a lot, a lot of things happening today, but I think the biggest gossip is it took me a while to get to this point, but I think the biggest gossip would probably be the fact that, they practiced some uh, some um some penalties at practice today and a lot of um a lot of crosses um so that was exciting to see and actually Hannah Benison I think she only missed one of her shots and the rest went into goal yeah great to hear them uh practice uh, their penalties we all know that in a tournament that can be very decisive <laughs> imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Let's go into the groups. And I think when we talk about Group A, Tom and Willie, you are going to have the most uh, important things to say here. But uh, let's just do it like this, that what teams in each group will make it uh, to the knockout knockout stage and why? Uh, We'll start with Group A, and that's England, Norway, Austria, and Northern Ireland. Um, Willie... Your thoughts? I think Group A is quite straightforward. I think England and Norway will progress quite comfortably. I think Northern Ireland, it's fantastic for them to be uh, a Euros in England. It's the, obviously, it's their first major tournament. And I think the most important thing is they take as much experience from that as possible to help them at the next one, or certainly to, to help qualify for the next one. I think Austria are a Austria always seem to have an okay team. You know, nothing special, but but certainly not the worst. But I don't think okay is going to be anywhere near good enough to get out of that group. 
because England's depth, is, I, I've said before, I think England can win it and the depth that they have this year is just, to, to, to be able to leave Steph, Steph Hartman out your squad shows you the depth they've got now. So I think, I think Austria can't touch England and any team that can have Graham Hansen and Hegerberg up front must be seen as a major danger. Uh, and Norway could be the dark horses of the tournament. You know, I think just Amanda, you're talking about the, the betting odds and you know, Norway are 14, 14 to one. So 14 times your money. Who have, who have, you know, the Barcelona is one of, most, one of Barcelona's most important players and had a Hegerberg up front. How can you bet against that? So, uh, yeah, I think Group A is quite clear cut. Do you agree with that, Tom? I'm in full agreement, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I think it's going to be a very, very difficult summer for Northern Ireland and a very short summer, um, and uh, which is not their fault. They just, up until recently, haven't had the, the full-time training. Um, Austria, I think, are actually very difficult to break down. Um, but, uh, no, I, I, England and Norway will go through that group. I, I'm pretty sure about that, yes. And, and, and England will build up a lot of momentum as well. I, I think maybe we talk more about England later, but... Um, there's something special is about to happen here because they, they've never, with the exception of the, the, the Great Britain side in the 2012 um, Olympics, the, they've never experienced the kind of crowd numbers that we're going to see at Old Trafford, uh, for example, and, and, and um, live matches on BBC One, the main channel here in the in the United Kingdom. Uh, yeah, I think there's um, some special momentum is going to build up with England during the group stage victories. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Let's move on to Group B, uh, the group of what many people say is the group of that. Uh, this is Germany, Spain, Denmark and Finland. Amanda, what two teams will make it to the knockout stage? It's it's a hard one, you know. I, I want to say that I think that Denmark's going to have, um, they're going to have a good summer, but I I don't think they have, you know, what it takes to go go past the group stage. So I'm, I'm, my bet is on Spain and Germany quite easy. I think Spain's going to go home with all nine points, maybe into the knockout stages. I'm going to place my bet for that, but I, but I feel like, you know, when, when you talk to players, I feel like Spain has a really, really strong squad. You look at players such as Alexia Puteas, um, uh, Bon Mati, uh, you have, uh, Mapi Leon, Hermoso, all of those people. Hermoso's out, sorry. Um, I mean, I was going to say Irene Paredes, um, Caldente. You have a lot of these players that are um, that play in Barcelona, one of the best teams in the world, and they've played together. They know each other. Um, and I think with that little extra of, you know, Esther Gonzalez coming in from Real Madrid, I feel like they're, they're going to have a great team. They just need to make sure that it works. But what speaks against them is the fact that they don't have a lot of, you know, championship um Behind them, they haven't played a lot of championships through the year, so I think that's what that that's what speaks against them. But Spain, group number group winner number two, Germany, and yeah, that's that's what I think. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I feel that Denmark will could be the dark horse of this group uh, because I'm I'm pretty sure that they weren't expecting to go to all the way to the final in the last. Euros as well, but they did. And then they beat a lot of good teams, uh, including Germany. 
So, but yes, Per, you and I have been working uh, on data on on one of the best players uh, in this group, I would say, uh, and it's Penille Harder. Um, from looking at, would you, would you rank her? Ha- would you rank her higher than Alexia Pateas as a player? And oh, that's that's a big that that's a hard question. But for because that's what you just said. Yeah, I said that she was one of the best players. Oh, one of yeah, the best, okay, one of the world's best, best players yeah. in this group. Um, no, yeah. Uh, and for her team, she is equally important to Denmark that Alexia Puteas is for Spain, I think. But yes, but we've been looking at a lot of data on Penilla Harder. Do you think that if Denmark is considered considered as a weaker side than Spain and Germany, what what difference could a player like Penilla Harder do? I think she could uh, make a huge difference. Like if you look at her numbers, you could see that she can do a lot by having the ball at like fewer moments than other players. So like if she just gets the chance to have the ball and then uh, like, especially in the center areas, like outside of uh, the penalty area, like uh, she can do a lot and uh, she still has uh, good players around her. And uh, I think that. You, yeah, I think uh, Denmark could surprise. Like in, in my simulation, it's still like uh, almost one in two that they make it. Like they're third in this group, but there's like, um, yeah, there's going to be a very tight uh, race. And I think also like a player as harder will, like she will be so excited for these games. And these are games that like, if she is the difference here in these games, that like it's gonna not going to go unnoticed and it's going to be, yeah, huge. So yeah, I think uh, that's the games that motiva- motivates her. Let's stay a little bit in this group because I'm I'm interested in interested in to hear what you think, Willie, about Spain. Like the fact, footballing wise, uh, it's it's easy to think of them as Barcelona, but they're not. So, what is your thought uh, on them as one of the favorites to win? I'm, I'm not a huge fan of of drawn comparisons between the women's game and the men's game, but if you look at the really dominant. Pep Guardiola, Barcelona team, coincided with Spain national team having really good moments and winning the Euros and the World Cup. So I think without a doubt, when you have so many players from the one club playing for the national team, I think it helps with that style of play and that uh, continuity. But if we look at the Champions League final, and this goes back to a point that's already been made about, you know, have, have Spain got enough experience of success? If you look at the Champions League final in Barcelona, you know, having a really, really poor performance against uh, against Lyon. And I, I for one, did not see that coming at all. So it shows you that the Barcelona team are human. And that could also be, you know, very reflective of the Spain team. You know, we just assume that Spain's going to be like Barcelona and and if they are, that means they can also have the bad days. And I, I don't think Spain will will reach reach the final and, and may struggle to even get to the semi-final. Yeah, and maybe it's a more balanced media take on this now because Tom, as we all experienced uh, when, when Chelsea was up against Barcelona in, in the Champions League, uh, I, I think we, we could look at Spain from a different point of view. Uh, would you agree? Yes, yeah, so as uh, quite a few of my colleagues in the media have, have correctly pointed out recently, you know, this is not, uh, there. Are, there is a, 
oh, there could be nine Barcelona players who start for Spain, but there's, there's still quite big differences, I think, perhaps in the, some of the style that the head coach wants for Spain. Uh, but also, um, while the midfield is still absolutely magnificent, um, probably the best midfield in the world, the three of them, um, you can't, it's, it's not quite the same when you don't have the, the front three with Graham Hansen and Martins, who's obviously left now, but also got Anna Schwala, um, missing that, that clinical, clinical, clinical goal scorer. Um, and and um, yeah, so yeah, I, made, I made it in a terrible way, but I guess I'm trying to say they, they haven't got somebody who you could say is going to go and score seven goals in this Euros. When I've, when I've watched them, this in the last year, they don't concede very many goals at all. They keep possession wonderfully well. Um, but I just, I'm thinking to myself, if you put um, uh, a 29 year old Ellen White in that, in that number nine position, you probably, you probably be putting your house on them to win the tournament, but they, they don't have that kind of player. I don't think. Willie. Well, I'm, this does not solve the problem that Tom's highlighted, but if Spain have a good tournament, I think it may coincide with Claudia Pina having a good tournament and almost, you know, she's deemed not good enough to be a starter for Barca, but she could be deemed to be a good enough starter or the right type of starter for Spain. And that might be interesting. Uh, you know, if one has a good tournament, it may coincide with the other having a good tournament. Claudia Pina could, could be that player that is missing for Spain even though she's still so young. Yeah, that's, I, I thought about that as well. It's going to be very excited, exciting to see her uh, lead that Spanish line. Um, so let's see if she will be a starter for Barca after the Euros. That's one question we can all uh, think, think of. Um, forgive me interrupting, but let's be clear on one thing. Um, no, no one will want to face them in the, in the... England will not want to face Spain in the quarterfinal. I think that's a really... Like dangerous prospect for England if they, they you know, they, it, you would imagine for England it will all be going quite well in the group stage. They'll have lots of excitement, and then you, they could have a quarter final against Spain, and it could all just come crashing down, and the, and the hosts are out. Uh, that they're, they're, you know, as harsh as perhaps um, some of the things that I was just saying there. You know, there's still not a team that you would really want to play um, in in a one-off match. The fabulous, fabulous keepers of the football, so. Yeah, very, still very dangerous. I would love to see Spain and England go up against each other in the quarterfinal. I would just want to say that. But it, it would probably be a good game to watch. It's very likely, isn't it? I think it's quite a likely fixture in the quarterfinal. Um, uh, one thing I just want to say, forgive me, uh, on Group B and Group C, I guess as well, is that Denmark and Switzerland were very unlucky with the draw, really, uh, of the kind of third-ranked sides. Those, for me, those two were much, much stronger than than the others in that pot. Um, and I think if they, if either of them had been in Group A or Group D, we we'd be talking about them as 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 real, really likely knockout stage uh, teams. But they, both of them, are just um, are in very, very tough groups. I think they've been very unlucky with the draw. Before we leave this group, I would just like to say I feel extremely, extremely bad for Finland. There, I've, you know, it's. I think it's, it's one of those teams that I think they have potential with some of their players to do something extremely big with that team. But then again, I'm. I don't want to talk, talk down the Swedish league, but it's not, it's not the same standard as it was a couple of years ago. You know, and you have the majority of their squad 
playing in that league and it doesn't hold the same, you know, it's not as physical and it's not as fast and it's not as much, you know, as the English or the Spanish or the Italian, even German league. So they're falling a bit behind. I think that's going to punish them when it comes to their national team as well. So they need to, I think they need to work on, first of all, like within, you know, the grassroots getting up bigger, like stronger players, physical that can play in other leagues, because if they don't get that, they're going to be falling behind and they're not going to be, I don't think they're going to be playing into yours in a couple of years if it continues down this route. So now we have established that we feel a bit sorry for Denmark, Finland and Switzerland. So let's move on to Group C where Switzerland is. Um, Jesper, you can you can answer this now. Uh, Group C, the Netherlands, Sweden, Switzerland and Portugal. What two teams will make it to the knockout stage? Yeah, it will be Sweden and the Netherlands. Yeah, no surprise there. Yeah, we don't have to talk about this group anymore. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I mean, it's exciting uh, for Portugal to to enter this um, uh, competition uh, because of Russia, uh, because of Russia. Uh, And like, did you want to say something, Amanda? Yeah, yeah, I just wanted to say that you, Jesper said Sweden and the Netherlands, and I totally agree with that. What's 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 been talked about here in camp? I'm coming in with the, the camp information, but what's been talked about camp here is the importance of winning that first game against the Netherlands and how much it sets you know the tone for the rest of the tournament. Are they going to go in losing that game or are they going to be winning it? Because it's all about points. It's all about winning. And you know, Netherlands could have a bad game against, say, Switzerland, for example. But that's what it comes down to, you know, and that's what they've been talking about here. That first game is so so important for them to win or at least get a point out of. Yeah, and will Willie looking at these two teams, the Netherlands and Sweden, because this is the first game uh, that Sweden will play. Uh, football wise, do you think who 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 should win? I think Netherlands are very much a team in transition, and I think that is dangerous for them uh, in terms of as Amanda says, Netherlands could drop points to Switzerland. And 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 who knows what happens after that? But I I think I think Sweden win this group comfortably, and then Netherlands should. If any any you know any team with Medema as your striker, you just need to stay in the game, and and she can do she can potentially do the rest. I think Damaris Aguirola uh, is a massive acquisition for them if you can call it such a thing as. A national team football acquisition, but it has been. You know they worked very hard to get her to choose them, and I think that's a massive, a massive uh, addition for them. But yeah, Netherlands is very much a team in, in transition, and I think Netherlands have probably got a little bit of luck with the draw. That, as Tom says, you know the the, the groups the, the the sort of third seed. You know, I think I think so. It's under okay, but. If they've got Denmark in Group C, I think the Netherlands would have been a little bit worried. But I, th- I think they should go through just because Portugal will struggle. And uh, and I think the Netherlands on an individual basis will be too strong for Switzerland. Yeah, well, we're at least we hope that Sweden uh, will make it through the knockout stage. Group D, uh, France, Italy, Belgium and Iceland. Tom. Your two teams, who will make it to the knockout stage? Uh, I, th- I I think Iceland might impress a few people, actually, but I don't think that 
um, they'll, they'll, they'll get through. I think the sensible suggestion is, is France and Italy, and I think they both get through. But I don't, I don't see France going any further than that after they've got through. They are perennial quarter-finalists. They always seem to be in the quarter-finals and only the quarter-finals, and I think that will be the same case again now. I think that they'll, they'll get through the group, but I don't see them winning a knockout game. Um, that, uh, yeah, and I, and I, I suspect that... Um, I know everyone's talked a lot about Amandine Henri not being picked and all that sort of thing, but um, it's not just her as well. But there's, I don't think the, the, the camp and the squad is happy enough and settled enough in France at the moment. And um, I, I, I think they'll get through, but I think that's as far as they'll go. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an exciting group. But your two was France and Italy. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I didn't mean that very clear. France and Italy is the yeah. easier. And I, I, think, I think Italy will have a good tournament. I, I, I like this Italian team. Um, I think they've they've got a good coach, and I think uh, yeah, they're, they're, they'll have. A, I think they'll have a good tournament. It's some some um, exciting things are happening in Italian football. The league's developing. The investment's really coming in, and yeah, I think I think they'll do well. Italy. I don't, I don't think they'll be the champions, but Italy will do well. I was thinking before we we go into your data simulation, uh, Jesper, uh, Willie. Um, From looking at the de- development in the women's game in the recent year, what tactical aspect do you think can be decisive? I, I, I think I think teams have worked so hard recently on their physical development, and the game is without a doubt getting getting quicker. Uh, but I think the, the team that is brave enough to play against and through a press can be the team that that goes on to win it because you you know. Every, not everybody, but a lot of the top teams will try to, to press high, or you know, at the very least, a, a, a mid block. And if you can be brave enough to play through that, it can then create really big gaps and behind and behind the defensive line. So, I think we've we've cons- we've been focused so much on making ourselves physically better. It's allowed us to play more of a pressing game. But I then think if you flip that on the head, and a team that can deal with that press will we'll, I think they'll get a lot of success from that we're, we're gonna uh, talk about uh, something interesting that Jesper has been doing with data now uh, and we're gonna put this on our Twitter account uh, when this is uh, this uh, episode is being published as well but take us through the process Jesper yeah so uh, I might be I can describe it a bit first, like how it works. But so this uh, simulator uh, takes in like uh, from the ELO ranking, uh, and it takes in all the the games that the teams have uh, played in recent times, and then it evaluates it from like based on uh, what kind of tournament it was and how recently it was, and uh, and then uh, from that, uh, my simulator works so that it. Um, It weighs the two teams, like uh, how much better is one team than another, and uh, then from that weight, it uh, you get a like uh, it randomizes a number on uh, how likely, like how many highlights the team will produce, and from those highlights you get an xG number. So in one game, for example, England could be uh, they could be expected to score three goals, and Northern Ireland zero point three, but uh, Northern Ireland wins one nil. That's not very likely, but that could happen. And that's actually what happened when Macedonia won over Italy in men's World Cup qualifier, those numbers. And then if you simulate like 
enough times, like 100,000 and a couple more, it, eventually you will get like an average outcome that is uh, likely. And uh, so that is uh, what I've done. And uh, from that, you get like uh, a likeliness uh, of like how it will go for the team in the tournament. And it shouldn't be seen as a pure power ranking because like uh, it comes into like uh, what kind of path the team uh, has to the final and to becoming a champion. And you can see, for example, when we talked about the groups, like Austria is more likely to reach the quarterfinal than uh, uh, Switzerland and Denmark are. But if they reach quarterfinal, they are less likely to go to a final. Uh, so you have that in the simulation as well. And uh, yeah, in my simulator, then uh, England is the most likely team to win. Uh, a bit less than 20% of the tournaments they win. And Sweden are second with about 17.5%, uh, followed by France. And that's the, like, the top three teams uh, that are the, for the three favorites, really. And, uh, if you, and then there's like a gap to Netherlands, Germany, and Spain that are quite tight and uh, further down Norway. So, um, yeah, uh, that's a simulation. And one thing that I can add as well is that like in my simulator, there's also one thing that uh, the home field advantage. So when I simulate leagues, for example, the home field advantage is more used. And that's like an average that I've calculated, like how much likely is it that a team performs better on home uh, field. And in this tournament, England has that home field advantage in every game, but the other teams don't have that home field advantage. So I actually simulated this tournament, like we're on neutral ground and then Sweden were favorites a bit over so like that's the difference in the simulator and i think that's like something interesting to see like if england has like just the average advantage of playing at home that uh, teams usually do they will like be the biggest favorites but that could also yeah be a pressure uh, of course but yeah did you follow or <laughs> yeah. Interesting. yeah it was yeah it this is interesting um so uh, tom what do you say england favorites home ground I think, uh, and I say this with the really, I promise, with a journalist hat on rather than a, a fan hat on, um, that England should win the tournament. They they've been planning for this tournament for a long time. They've got home advantage. They spend more on women's football than any other country in Europe from the from the national governing body, and they're at home. They've got a really good team. They've got a brilliant depth. They've got fantastic talent. They've got a great head coach who's, I think, she's excellent. Serena Wiegmann, very impressed with her. And they got the home advantage, so um, they really should win. That, that's that's the. And I, I, people will accuse me of putting pressure on the England team, which is apparently the English media do too much of. But I was trying to think about it. If if I was um, Greek with no affiliation to England, would I be saying this? And I think yes, England England should win this tournament um, if if they if they do their job, which is not going to be easy. There's lots of really good teams, but no, England should win. And but I would. Love to see an England Sweden final, but actually, unless I'm mistaken, if they both win their groups, that's not possible. I think they would meet in a yeah, semi final. Um, we were having this conversation yesterday at the England Media Day, and someone was predicting, Oh, England, England Sweden, that'd be a great final. And I was thinking, Well, something's got to go a bit wrong for that to happen. Um, but no, um, I yeah, I guess I'm going to predict England to win, which would be, um, I'm sure that will come back to bite me in a few weeks when they crash out and some disastrous defeat. But they, yeah, sorry, very long answer. But England should win this tournament. Home advantage, great team. And lots of them are in their peak age now coming up to this 
perfect time for the home tournament. Yeah. So, Willie, how good? How good is this England team? I, I think it's, it's it's as good as it's ever been. I think you can argue. You know, we have never produced another Kelly Smith, never produced another Farrah Williams, but I think as a squad, this is the best they have ever got. I think Tom says that the age is right. They've got the right age in terms of the profile across the squads. They've got different types of wide players, different types of midfielders, even different strikers. You know, Ellen White, Beth England, and, and Lisa Russo. If she played through the middle, so yeah, the the only potential weakness for me is the goalkeeper. Across uh, the whole squad, this England team is the best there has been. Going back to Tom's point, they've got an outstanding head coach who understands what it takes to perform at high level as a player and as a coach, leading a country and a home Euros. There will be pressure. People like Tom, when he does those articles, will put pressure on the players. But I think this group of players understands that pressure is a privilege. I think previous groups of players may have seen it as an used it as an excuse. But I think when you've got people like Leah Williamson, uh, Georgia Stanway, Jill Scott in your squad, those types of characters, Lauren Hemp, they will see the pressure as a privilege. And I think that will spur them on to, to do something really special this summer. Yeah, we actually have um, interviewed one of the English um, national team players and we will uh, listen to that interview now. <laughs> Ella, it's great to have you on this podcast and we want to talk about your national team career. So I want to talk to you first about being called up for the first time. Do you remember what it felt like? Yeah, I remember um, I was walking the dog and Phil Neville rang me um, and just said, i want you to come to to your first England camp, and I just remember I just didn't know what to say. Like I was gobsmacked, and something that I've I've dreamed of um, dreamed of doing since I was a little girl, being called up to the seniors. So, yeah, I think it was a really special moment, and um, yeah, I was lost for words at the time. Um, but yeah, I still remember it very clearly. Who who was the first person you you told as soon as you got the news? As soon as I put the phone down to Phil, I rang my dad um, straight away and told him, and uh, he was over the moon for me. Um, yeah, so straight away I rang my dad and, and told him, and then rang my mum as well. Right, and growing up, you know, England is obviously a big football country. What kind of like idols did you have uh, growing up inside of football, but also outside of football? Who were your role models? I have quite a lot of role models growing up and watching football and obviously supporting Manchester United as well. I had a few there at the club. Um, then obviously watching England and wanting to play for England, I always looked up to the likes of Wayne Rooney. Um, thought he was an unbelievable player and always gave him 100% when he put the shirt on. Um, and that's what I love. Um, and then also watching women's football as well, as much as it wasn't that big at the time, I always remember Kelly Smith. Um Arsenal legend, England legend, and the way she controlled the game and, and got on the ball and wanted to play football and scored goals. Um, that's something that I always try to, like, I, I try to watch her game and, and try and make that into my game growing up. Um, so, yeah, I had quite a few role models in football growing up. And how about outside of football? Who was your, your main support? I think my family. Um 
right from a young age, my family were always there, um, always pushing me and being that shoulder to cry on. And they were committed as much as I was in taking me up and down the country to every training session, to every home and away game. And yeah, they've sacrificed a lot over the years for me to be where I am today. Um, and first, they first got me into playing football as well. So I'll be I'll be forever grateful for my family for for giving me the opportunities at such a young age. And what does I mean? What does it mean to you? You know, growing up having that having that support from your family. Yeah, it meant everything. It meant that I could just go out every session and enjoy myself and. And I think now I look back as I've got older and I think everything I do now is for them, um, to repay them and to say thank you and to make them proud. Um, so yeah, I was really grateful for the support that I had growing up, um, not just my family, but my friends, my my school teachers as well. I think everyone who's been a part of my journey, I'm, I'm very grateful for. And I just want to try and make them uh, proud now in everything that I do. And obviously, you know, you're talking about the first thing you said was Phil Neville calling you up. How was it for you to come into, I mean, your first training with the girls and then as well as putting on the shirt to come on the field the first time for England? How was that for you? It was amazing. Um, Yeah, my, my debut was something that will stay with me for life. It was a very special day and I just remember being having so many emotions after the game and it was like, this is what I've wanted all my life and I've finally been able to achieve it. It was very overwhelming. And I think since I stepped out onto that pitch the first time, it made me want to step out onto that pitch many more times after that. Um, so yeah, it's a special feeling and one that will stay with me for a long time. And um, every time now I step onto the pitch, you still get the same feeling. You're, you're stepping out and you're representing your country. And for me, that's something that I've always wanted to do growing up a little girl and having those dreams. Um, so yeah, the feeling will never will never change and you want to go out onto the pitch and represent your country and enjoy yourself. And you will be doing that during this Euros um, on home, home soil. How, how does it feel to be able to do your Euros debut in England? Oh yeah, hopefully um, if selected, then that will be amazing in front of our home fans and our families and our friends and in stadiums that are close to us. Um, yeah, it'll be really special. Um, to play for England is is amazing um, to represent your country. And I think for me, I've always wanted to represent my country in a major tournament and the Euros will be massive this year for, for women's football and it being on home soil. Um, it's going to be a really exciting summer and one that I can hopefully be a part of. And I mean, considering the season that you've had also with Manchester United, um, you're talking about hopefully you'll be selected, but do you feel like there's a pressure or does it come with pressure, you know, performing the way that you've been performing this season for United? Um, no, I don't think it's pressure. I think football's football and we do this because we enjoy it and we love what we do every single day. Um, obviously, you put pressure on yourself to perform well. Um, every week, you want to you wanna play consistently for your club so that you do get selected to represent your country. But I don't think anyone puts pressure on us as players, probably just ourselves because we set such high standards. Um, but I think the main thing is that we go out and we give it our all every single day in training and, and put on performances at the weekend consistently um, to give ourselves the best chance of, of being selected to represent England. What would it, what would it mean to you if, you if you are selected this summer to represent your country? Yeah, it'd mean everything. Um, 
it's it's a target that I set myself um, at the start of this season that I wanted to give myself every opportunity to be a part of the Euro squad. Um, so yeah, I think it'll be amazing to represent your country at a major tournament um, to be a part of this special team and to obviously be on home turf in front of all of our fans and our incredible supporters that we've had every week at club. Um, yeah, it'll be a really special moment and one that I've dreamed of since I was a little girl. And maybe even better for you is the fact that you guys are opening up at Old Trafford, which is sold out. What was what was your reaction to that? Um, that's just amazing. The, the fact that we've sold out such a massive stadium is just shows how big the women's game's growing. Um, and yeah, for me, obviously, growing up a Manchester United fan and loving the club and playing for the club now, it's, it's always special to, to be there and be around the stadium. And obviously, I've had the chance to play on the Theatre of Dreams and it was unbelievable. Um, and for that to maybe happen again it is really special and to fill it out as well and have our family and friends in the crowd is, is going to be amazing and kick off um, the tournament really well. Have you... We, we we touched about it a little bit in the beginning, you know, about your, your family being a massive support. Have you talked to them at all about, you know, potentially playing for your country at a sold out Old Trafford? And how has that conversation been going? Well, yeah, I think they've got so much belief in me that they've already got the ticket sorted. Um, my uncle's already bought a box and half the family's in that as well. So, um, yeah, I think they just believe in me that, Hopefully I'll be selected in this squad and um, I think it'll just be a really special moment for me and all of my family to to go out there and represent my country in front of them and just to make them proud. Um, but yeah, they're all, they're all sorted and they've, they've all got the tickets and they're buzzing for it. And what I also think is so interesting because you talk, you, you, you mentioned it just a little bit, you know, the growth of the women's game, being able to play at a sold out, sold out Old Trafford. Um, and also growing up, you said your idols were Kelly Smith and Wayne Rooney. But when you look and now when when you play for United and you come on, do you notice maybe like there's more younger girls coming in to, you know, visit and wants to meet the players and see you guys as role models? And how is it for you to be that type of role model for kids now? Yeah, I love it. Um, I love now how much the game's grown and. I think for a lot of us in this squad, it was always difficult to to have those role models to look up to because the game wasn't that big when we were when we were growing up. So now to be in this position that we're in and to be role models for all the young girls and boys um, starting out their football careers, it's really special for us. And I think we've got a lot of great role models in the women's game. I think after every game, a lot of us stay after the game and sign everyone's shirts that we can um, because we know that what it was like when we were younger, not to have those people to look up to. And you see now young girls with our names on the back of the shirts. It's really special for us to see that. And we just want to be um, the best role models that we can be. And I think this summer will, will help with that as well. Um, we'll hopefully go out and perform and, and get a lot more young girls involved in sport. What would you say? I think, I mean, it's quite hard to, you know, um, pinpoint, you know, the the revolution of the women's game, but what would you say kind of changed it all up for, you know, in England where it became so as big as it is now? Obviously, I think the fact that we're on telly um, is massive and 
the fact that our games are being broadcasted uh, live on telly is massive and it gets even more people watching the women's game. And then if if they're watching the game on the telly, they might then want to come and watch the game live in our stadiums. Um, I just think how big social media has had an effect on women's football and it's out there more and more people can now see it. Um, it's really helping the game grow. And I think even after this this summer and the tournament being held in England um, will only help grow the game even more as well. Definitely. And if we, if we go back to, you know, your journey with the English national team so far, what would you say is uh, your best memory? Yeah. hundred percent making my England debut. Um, I don't think anything will ever top that. I think just because it's something that you work towards every single day to try and achieve. And then to finally, achieve it um it's just a really special moment and it was a, a proud day for me and my family and made me even hungrier to work harder and, and to to step out onto the pitch in the shirt as many times more as I can now and um, do you do you remember who you guys uh, played against at all and the scores yeah we played Northern Ireland at St George's Park and unfortunately it was in lockdown so we didn't have a crowd. We didn't have our family and friends there, which was a bit gutting at the time because obviously I wanted my family and friends to be there while I made my England debut. But just I remember coming on um, the start of the second half um, and I scored a penalty as well. So it was a, a special day all around for me. Um, yeah, a special debut. With a goal as well. Yeah, topped off with a goal. And we want to go into also, you know, obviously you, you play up top, but we want to know, like, how would you describe yourself as a footballer from how you look at yourself as a player? Um, I think someone who, who will always work hard, um, always give 100%. Um, and I'd like to think that I'm quite a creative player and I want to get on the ball and make things happen. I think my position is a 10 and attacking midfielder, so... You've got to want to get on the ball and find the pockets of space and try and make things happen in the final third, whether that's goals or assists or dribbles or crosses. And yeah, I think someone who sets quite high standards and um, yeah, just wants to, to be involved and to make things happen. How do you prepare physically and mentally ahead of a big tournament like the Euros? And could you also tell our listeners why they should come to England this summer to watch England play? Um, obviously, this is my first, if selected, my first major tournament um, for the seniors. Um, so I'm not sure how how to prepare or what to do, but I think that's why it's so good that we have so many experienced players in the team. Um, there's a lot of young players now coming through and, and they're always there to help and guide us. Um, and they have so much experience in major tournaments that if we are struggling and, and we aren't preparing as, as well as we should because we don't know how to, then they'll always be there um, to talk to and to get advice from. So I think for me, I just take each day as it comes. Um, I'm sure nearer the time, the nerves will probably kick in um, because we want to go out there and make the nation proud. But I think because of the team that we have around us, um, I'm sure we'll be fine and I'm sure they'll be able to, to give a helping hand and, and support us along the way. Well, I'd say everyone come and support us. We're an exciting team. We've got experienced players. We've got young talent coming through. Um, and I think we just enjoy our football and we want to just put on performances and inspire the next generation um, and just to make the nation proud. And I think, 
you'll you'll see a team who works so hard for each other and, and wants each other to do well. And yeah, I think um, we've got that real togetherness about us that we want to go out into that tournament and work for each other. And last one would be uh, before the rapid fire is what do you think your 2022 will mean for women's football in general, but also for English women's football? I think it'll be massive. Um, I think it's going to be a really exciting summer of football and we'll have a, a lot of fans in the stadiums who, who will come and support us and see so many talented players um, on the biggest stage. Um, and I think it's only going to help the women's game grow even more um, in England, especially it being on home soil and having so many people um, involved, um, so many games to watch. Um, I think, yeah, it'll be really exciting and, and it'll help um, grow even more. All right. So that was great. We have rapid fire this or that. So no thinking, just answer one or, one or the other. People <laughs> like to think during this one. I yeah. don't even know why, but it is what it is. So I'll, I'll just go ahead and scoring one yourself or assisting a goal. Assisting a goal. Winning the Champions League or the Euros? <laughs> the Euros. Scoring a volley or header? A volley. Better, better movement or positioning? Better movement. All right. And starting, oh, being in the starting 11 in a mediocre game where you draw or, or lose or come on from the bench to get the win. Come on from the bench to get the win. Great. Always win. Always win. Okay, let's, uh, I mean, we've just heard Ella Toon here, but other England players to look out for, uh, Tom. Yeah, Ella Toon could have a great breakthrough summer, but um, the player to watch for me is Lauren Hemp. She's such an exciting player, so quick, fantastic feet, um, great vision and, and, and a very unselfish player as well. I think she'll, I think she'll have a wonderful tournament um, and uh, yeah, I, I think she'll, she could be the big breakthrough star. I also think Georgia Stanway has been in very, very good form. And I think I'm quite excited about the midfield that she's going to form together with, um, Kira Walsh and Leah Williamson, both sitting a little bit behind her. I think for the games against the harder teams, England will use those three to give them more sort of, um, what's the word structure and, and defensive option. And uh, yeah, I, I think Stanway could have a wonderful tournament as well. Yeah. Uh, Jesper, I need to, to ask you, do you want to add something on your favorite England player, Lauren Hemp? <laughs> yeah. Like, so uh, yeah, Lauren is a big favorite. I, I remember the first time when I took down the numbers in uh, women's super league, like from uh, this season. And I, I almost thought it was like something wrong with my code because like she was uh, like when we talking about um, expected threat that we work a lot with now, like who creates the most uh, danger from passing and carrying, driving the ball. Like she was best in both those numbers. And I hadn't seen that before. Like, so I had to look and now I'm going to make a comparison with men's football, but the only time I've seen it is like uh, Lionel Messi in uh, La Liga. So like those numbers are huge. And I think it's going to be yeah really interesting to see like how she can uh, play in that free role on the left uh, Uh, flank of the pitch like and if those links that she has with like Alex Greenwood Lucy Bronze uh, and in the Manchester City if like they're gonna be used as well and as luckily in England so yeah I'm really excited to see uh, if all those three players are on the pitch so yeah I just really hope that Lauren Hemp um, that the team around her look after her a little bit though because I think I, I don't know if 
if we've ever seen what might be about to happen for someone like her, because for the UK public who don't normally watch women's football, but maybe are about to tune into women's football for the, for the first time or for the first time in a few years, um, the general sports fan here, they know Steph Horton's name, they know Leah Williamson's name, and they, they probably know Lucy Bronze and maybe Ellen White, but they, they don't know, unless they're a big WSL fan, they, they don't know Lauren Hemp, and they're about to find out all about Lauren Hemp. And I, I, can't, I just, I hope that, and I'm sure they will, but I hope that everyone around her just just keeps an eye on her and looks. She's only 21 years of age, and um, and and yeah, I, I hope that it doesn't all get a bit too much overwhelming. I, I think she'll cope well, but that's my only hope because with she will never have experienced anything like what's about to happen to her. Her life is about to change immeasurably. She's about to become a a, a national superstar. Yeah, and I'm really like I think one advantage that England has that is like a big advantage for. It for a team like playing in this tournament is that they have so many people up front that are like really uh, good in like uh, creating their chances and like contributing to the team. So even if like Lauren Hemp would get a lot of attention from the defense, like there's um, other players that can step in. And I think that's a big, uh, big, big advantage like uh, for England. And I'm, yeah. Let's end this talk about England with Amanda, who is your favorite uh, England player? It's it's a hard question, but there there's one person that I've been that I've been following, and I don't. It's it's probably very unexpected, but I'm a huge Lizzie Bronze fan. I think she's she's just been brilliant in the defensive line, and I and I always I don't. When I played myself, I used to be a forward, but I but I always find myself whenever I'm asked about players, I always find myself going back to the defenders, and I think she's just one of the greatest, or she has been. It's going to be exciting to see what she does in Barcelona in the summer, but. She's definitely, yeah, a brilliant player. I, I I really admire her. Yeah, I I also think that Lucy Bronze uh, get a little bit of negative, uh, too much negative attention because she's a great player, obviously. But let's move on be- before uh, we are gonna let uh, Willie and uh, Tom compete against each other in uh, this Sweden quiz, which we are all waiting for right now. We are gonna take some questions uh, from our listeners, and this uh, first one will go out to you, Willie, because this is from Abdullah, a good friend of this podcast. I should add, um, in using general principles, more relevant. More relevant or important than detailed tactical details in tournaments. I'm not even sure I read that one correct. I have to read it again. I don't know what he's trying to get at. Yeah, in in using general principle, more relevant or important than detailed tactical details in tournaments. So is it more important to get the tactical concept across the minute details that can make up said concept. Yeah, I think I think it depends on the so if we give examples, it's already been given. If we give the Sweden example, the manager's been there five years, everybody knows exactly how they want to play within that group of players. For Sweden to be successful, it's about those little tactical details between every game now. Because the general principles have been have been have been embedded for a number of years. For somebody like England, I am pretty sure that they're still not 100%. uh, I don't think the players will 100% know how Serena wants to play. 
because she's had very few challenges since she's become the England manager. The Arnold Clark Cup was much needed because they had no tough opponents. So yeah, I think I think it's I think it's a different answer depending on what country you're talking about, uh, depending on their preparation for the tournament. And I still think there's a little bit of balance needed for England in terms of Serena's a very good communicator and very clear communicator. So the players will know as much as as possible. But uh, yeah, I think it's a difficult question to answer unless you add context around which country you want to be speaking about. Yeah. Well, uh, Tom, this is a question for you from Theo. Uh, what's the most underrated storyline or the biggest surprise uh, or the biggest surprise uh, at the Euros uh, going to be? Is, is, is that, forgive me, is that with regards to a team that might um, cause a surprise? Could be on or off the pitch, he's, he also writes. Oh, okay. Um, okay, well, I think... Um, Uh, I think the okay. I think well, I think the biggest surprise. I would say I didn't. I didn't. I spoke about Group B earlier, so I I, I think the biggest surprise will be. Um, I'll, I'll say Germany to go out in the group stage. Ooh. Wow, that was uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it really was. But let's just leave it there. That's fine. Like both <laughs> things on this podcast. Um, Amanda, this is a question for you. Actually, yeah. Um, how much do you expect coverage of the Euros going to impact the non-home side and the growth of the women's game there? I think when when you look at different media outlets around the world, obviously they, they, their first priority is going to be to cover their own country, and I think it makes a lot of sense in in, the, in that way. Um, but I think for us, we, for, for football's Canada, where I work at, we're, we're mainly going to be covering Sweden, but obviously we're going to cover the rest of the nations as well, since we are a sending company or a broadcasting company. Um, so for me, I, th- I think it's going to affect it a lot. I think kids are going to have new players to look up to. They're going to see who their Cristiano Ronaldo is, who is their Messi, who is their, you know, Wayne Rooney, who, who are Which player are they going to, you know, kind of fall in love with? Who who are they going to be following? Whose jersey are they going to be buying? And I think we've come to that point in women's football where where they're where they're the kids out there and the football fans are starting to wear these female players' names on their jersey on the back of their jersey. I've seen that these past couple of days here in the Swedish camp, and I think what we're going to see after this tournament, which is expected to be extremely big and which will be affected by media coverage is the fact that we're going to see as Tom said, like about speaking about Lauren hemp, Tom had wonderful things to say about her. I think we might see kids here in Sweden with the hemp Jersey or, you know, with the, even a bronze Jersey. I think that's what we're going to see. And I hope, I hope that's the case as well, that people find their players that aren't in that nation. And that helps grow the game a lot is what I think. And I, and I, and I hope that's the case as well, but, Another thing that that you have to take into consideration is that it's much easier to cover something when you're when you're there. And what we've seen with UEFA is that a lot of journalists aren't getting into the games that they've applied for. And that lessens the coverage and, you know, what do you do about that? But at the same time, you know, and then when that happens, you're going to prioritize your country and that's going to slow down the development a little, I think. Yeah, Tom, what's your take on that? Because I've heard like that there are UK journalists that is 
you know, like denied to go to other games than, than the England games. Yeah, yeah, even Swedish ones. Yeah, it's been very disappointing. Lots of my colleagues um, are, are hoping that there'll be some changes, but at the moment there's quite a lot of them who are, are really disappointing. They have not been accepted for some of their match requests um, and some some of whom who've covered the game for 20 years in this country, and, and that's really um, unfair. And I, What it boils down to is just the, the press box is not being big enough. Um, and because we know for the men's Euros last summer, this was not a problem in the vast majority of cases, and newspapers here were, were getting maybe three, four reporters at every match sometimes to write extra colour pieces. And that's just not been replicated here. And that, that that's simply just a case of UEFA, I'm afraid, um, underestimating the interest in the tournament in terms of the size of the press boxes at some, at some of the grounds. So I really hope that changes. I really hope there is um, a way that they can, they can make that work so that those who have um, dedicated large chunks of their lives over the last couple of decades to cover the women's game for very little money um, can be given the respect they deserve and to and to cover the tournament which needs as much coverage as possible to keep to keep growing the game yeah for sure uh, we have one more question we're going to take from the listeners before we go into the quiz um, yes Ber, uh I think you, you can answer this uh, how much weight do you give to winning uh, past Euros when projecting favourites given squad turnover, coaching changes and the length between tournaments? Yeah, so um, uh, I think that uh, like in this question, like uh, I'm I'm basing it on the ELO ranking and I, I'm not sure right now like how many years going back that is, but it's like, uh, yeah, the Olympics, of course, and uh, the last... Uh, maybe World Cup, but I'm not sure with the Euros. So like, it's it's not going uh, that far back. And like, when I've simulated um, on the men's side, I've been able to use like uh, data on the players as well. But this for this tournament and also with other national tournaments, it's it's a bit hard because you don't have uh, enough uh, data on the players. Like since they're coming from many, and then I just yeah, I, I skipped that part. But uh, from yeah, so that's I think that answers it pretty well. Uh, yeah. So historical games is the is the main part. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have a lot of questions from the listeners, but if we're going to answer them all, we'll be here to midnight. So we're going to we're going to go to the best part of this podcast, I think now, because now we are going to have a Sweden quiz that um, Willie and Tom is going to have to uh, compete in. And Jesper, you will be the judge, the ref. You will keep track of the points. And Amanda, you will just help us. You know what? I, I will, I will, my, my score won't count, but I'll be in on the, on yeah, the quiz. Great. I'll have my answer. Um, um, what I do have a question though, is do we have a name for this quiz? You know, you know, Sweden has their jersey, how to stop Sweden. How do we have to how stop, to stop Willie? Is what we are going to call this from now on. How to stop Willie. Or can you stop Willie? Yeah. I mean, we have to name it How to Stop Willy for obvious reasons. But this is about Sweden. It's five, que- five questions. So you'll write your answers down and you'll get like time to think. We can edit the, time, the thinking time out. But here goes the first question. Name, name the three goalkeepers in the Swedish squad. So what your answers, Willie, you have to say them because we have listeners, so we have to say them. 
And Tom, what was your answer? Falk, Musevich and, and Lindahl, yes. Although I, was, I, yeah. I nearly spelt Musevich wrong because I have this um, thing on my a computer here that's actually been causing me problems throughout the season at Chelsea games where I type Musevich and it auto-corrects it to say music instead. Um, <laughs> I can't get it to stop. <laughs> I just wrote it out there and I saw that it had done it again, but I managed to change it just in time. But yeah, um, Great. <laughs> this is off to a great start. We might have to have this extra question, yeah. but uh, three points to both of you. I have a good tiebreaker question. Great. Keep that in mind. So question number two. In the How to Stop Sweden guide, one of the Swedish players is described like this. X is one of a kind world-class forward who brings exceptional skill and explosive style of playing to any game. This already makes her the focal point of many opponents' defensive game plans. It should be added that she is one of the best players in the world at striking the ball from a distance, and in, in particular with her left foot. So try not to give her time and space to shoot from outside the box as, she, as she'll hit the target at a ratio above 40%. Who is it? Type it. But don't press enter. You see, I thought I knew exactly where you were going and then one of the other clues has now messed with my head a little bit. So um, <laughs> I'm going to... No, I've changed my mind twice. Are we done? Enter. Amanda, I'm disappointed. You know what? I, I had... I had, I had, <laughs> I, I had Dorfa down first and, I, and then I... I, I thought back to I thought back to Blackstinius, uh how they made that video about her for for this campaign, and they said something about percentage, and I think that's what got me. But the left foot was definitely Rolfa, so I'm. It's the left foot, yeah. yeah so Willie, Willie, your answer was. And Tom also Rolfo, yeah, yeah, full full uh, full pot, as we say in Swedish. Great yeah, job. Very good job. So now. Um, good fun. <laughs> that was a Swedish swear word, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so question number three. Name as many Swedish players as you can that are selected for the Euros that played in the WSL this season. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Um, best season, only best season. Yeah, not previous to yeah. so just right, just no. this season. This season, twenty-one, yeah, twenty-two. Okay, okay. That was a very important bit of information there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you, you had started thinking about what players it was before I fi uh, finished the question. <laughs> this is a real test of my spelling. I really hope the sub-editors at the Telegraph are not going to be able to see. No, we're none. Here. Um, I think I think I have them all. I think. Yeah. Are we done? Thanks, so, yeah. Then show your answers. And we'll start with Willie. You'll, you'll read yours. So I'll read mine first. Is uh, Mustovich, 
Natalie Bjorn, Mike Erickson, Jon Anderson, uh, Philippa Angledal, Hannah Benson, and Stina Blackstones. I missed anyone. Oh, no. And Tom? Tom? From the looks of the chat, I have the same as Willie, but I also have Kohlberg, uh, Brighton. It takes up to eight players. I think... um, I think, I think, I'm hoping there was eight. I hope I've not forgotten anybody, but I have eight, eight on my list. Yeah. That is correct. Willie left Emma Kullberg, play, the player in Brighton, out. Now we have uh, a leader. And very well work, Amanda. You got them all. Yeah, I, I almost for, forgot Blackstinius at the yeah. end. Now, question number four. The most capped player in Europe is a Swedish national team player. Who is it and what position does she play? There's an extra point for knowing the amount of caps she has. Hello, Becca. That's also, that's <laughs> also a Swedish <laughs> swear word. <laughs> I, I, need, I, I need to kind of exclude myself from this question because this is one of the only things that I Googled before the start of the quit, uh, before the Zoom call, like at 10 to 5. <laughs> So I, I have actually written this down. It's just up here. I know, I know, the, I know, I know that. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's, the, you all knew about the quiz. So that. just type yeah. your answers. <laughs> type your answers. Good homework, Tom. I don't Good count. Homework. I don't count for this question. Good homework study. No, of course you do. And she will play in the Euros. I will. She, it's not like an historical thing but it is an historical thing but she she's still active push the buttons and Willie what's your answer to this uh, Caroline Seger sentiment uh, 230-ish <laughs> don't know exactly wait before before we go into Tom Gary's are you feeling confident with the fact that we have the same answer quite nervous about the fact that you've both got the, the same answer that makes me wonder if the the swedish national website that i looked at about an hour and a half ago has got the wrong number mine was a, <laughs> a bit of a guess in terms of the number that's why it's a wrong number so amanda and tom uh your answer is Car- also caroline seger midfielder but you have typed uh, amanda has typed 230 caps like willie uh, and tom has Caroline Seger, 229 caps and midfielder. And the right, the right amount of caps is uh, 229, actually. Uh, no, like I said, I, that doesn't count. I, I definitely put that up this afternoon. So. <laughs> but, I mean, that's preparation. So the last question now. Stina Blackstenius has won the Swedish league title twice. Uh, what clubs did she play for when winning? Tom, feel the pressure. Uh, yeah, I, I, I might be right. I might have got this wrong. I might have one of the clubs right. And I think the second one, I might have got this wrong. So, but we'll, yeah, we're, we're done. It's all part we're of done. The, all part, I'm done. Yeah. Oh, Willie and I have done the same answer again. Yeah. And what's the answer, Willie? Akin, Akin and Lynchkopping. And Tom, you also had Hicken and Lynchkopping. Yeah. And Lynchkopping. Yeah. Amanda's is slightly different, but that's it's it, it. How do you say this? It's same, same, but different because 
when she did uh, win her second Swedish league title uh, in 2020, uh, BK Häcken was in fact Kopparbergs Göteborgs FC. But we'll let this one slip. That's that's because... what I was arguing for at the beginning because I had a feeling you guys were going to say Häcken. So I argued for the fact that I think that should be wrong because it's not actually the team she played for. Yeah, but I mean, I, I didn't get my case through. No, I'm nice today. So Jesper, count the points. I mean, uh, this was, I, I'm really impressed. Like there was really no um, uh, wrong answers, really. So like if you uh, exclude the the number of caps that uh, Caroline Seger had, uh, it's uh, Kulberg that decides it. It's sixteen uh, fifteen to uh, Tom. Yeah, it. I mean, this. The, both of you deserve an, one applause. Yeah, great work. I'm done, Tom. Oh, that's the first time in my life I've ever won anything. I think we need to retire now. <laughs> and do Do you know what the Seger means in English? Like the Swedish uh, meaning of Seger? <laughs> no, I don't actually. I don't know that. It's a victory. So yeah, <laughs> you won mm. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I haven't got Willie's good looks though, so I, I still, I've still got, you know, he's still winning a life. Well, uh, that was my sixty minutes out of the window, but it's it's often like this when we speak about football. So we'll have to, uh, and I did leave some questions out as well. But I mean, the favorite part was the quiz, and I think you did. Great! I'm I'm very impressed, uh, actually. We, but we had great fun. That was that was that. Thank you for inviting us. That was really nice. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're gonna have a lot of, uh, I mean, interesting guests on this podcast uh, the the weeks to come, and we're very happy that you wanted to join us, Tom, for the premiere uh, of the Euro special. So thank thanks for joining in. Thank you very much. No, I hope uh, I hope to speak to you again and. I hope everyone has a, enjoys the tournament. Yeah, have a, have a wonderful summer. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Tom. We'll yeah. catch up soon. See you soon, yeah, Willie. You See you soon, everybody. Yeah. Yes, but thank you very much for being on this. Uh, let's just um, wrap this up and say we'll we'll see you soon. Uh, Willie, take care. Um, and you too, Tom and Jesper. Take care. Nice meeting you guys. Take care. Nice meeting you, Jesper. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. 
Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.